Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Being Freelance podcast, which is brought to you by the Being Freelance community. Come and hang out with others who get what it's like. Be inspired, supported, cheered up, feel part of something, feel like you're having fun, because you are, because you're not alone being freelance. Join us at beingfreelance.com. Just click community and I'll see you in there. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for copywriter. Anna Rogan. A lot of my goals in my business are around how I want it to feel. I think being freelance and really running your own business can be a very tough slog, but the benefit of it is you get to decide. You make all the decisions. I had something to prove to myself that I could earn what I was earning in my corporate and government job and so the way that I made it work was to say yes to everything and I think I used to get quite excited really that people just wanted to work with me so the yes was almost a reflex like oh my god yes you want to work with me of course I want to do anything that you want me to do and pay me for it are you crazy of course I will do it I think I'm at a point now where I'm thinking Is scaling the be-all and end-all? Is that really the next logical step up or can you just do really good work on a one-on-one basis and hit your financial goals? Does there have to be a next step like this? Just really enjoy what I'm doing in my business now. Yes, as you may have guessed, we're off to Australia. We're chatting to Anna this week. Thank you for all your shares and likes and comments on the recent episodes, I'm at Being Freelance on Twitter and Instagram if you want to tag me in. It does make a difference when you share them. Tell other freelancers. It's the biggest favour that you can do me uh, if you enjoy what I do. Just tell other freelancers. Tell them when you're chatting to them online, when you meet up with them in person. Tell them about the podcast, about the course for new freelancers, about the community. And for that matter, if they like video on YouTube at Being Freelance, you will find me doing vlogs about my weekly life. I say that... (laughs) I did it for years and then I stopped for three years when the pandemic hit and this week just gone I relaunched it well relaunched it I simply published an episode (laughs) kind of a lesson that even if you've had a pause from something there's no harm in going back to it if you enjoy it so at the moment at least I am documenting my freelance life because I make videos and podcasts uh, for a living and you can watch them all on YouTube including the new ones. So yeah, go take a look. There's a link at beingfreelance.com as that is for all of these things. So yeah, please do share Being Freelance if you enjoy it. Right now though, let's crack on with this week's conversation and head to Australia and chat to freelance copywriter Anna Rogan. Hey Anna! Hi Steve, hi everyone. As ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Sure. I sort of had potted around a bit in my career after studying psychology um, straight out of high school and I had found myself in media and communications. I was working for one of the big four banks in Australia and popped on over to government for a little while and I'd had a baby. I had another baby on the way. I was living in Melbourne in Australia, in the city, and looking around the hu- at the house prices thinking, never, ever will we ba- <laughs> be able to actually afford. Um, my husband had grown up in the country and we started having conversations about potentially moving out of the city, which seemed like it was going to be impossible with both of us having city-based jobs. So we started sort of scheming and dreaming, I guess, about what it would look like if one of us took our skills freelance and because I was working in media and communications and I'd always written I had a you know side hobbies of writing fiction and short stories and poems and all those kind of things um, writing seemed like a really easy skill to transfer to home-based work and freelance work I started talking to a friend who was doing some copywriting and she started flicking me jobs and before you know it I had my own little business running. Um, I went on maternity leave with my second bub and sort of thought, here's my chance to see if this thing is really going to work. And it did. And here I am seven years later, six years later, seven years later. Amazing. Uh, Yeah. 
So those first projects came because you told a friend who was a copywriter, hey, I want to do this. Yes, and they were doing it. I'd I'd known they'd taken a sabbatical from work. They'd taken a year-long work sabbatical and um, had gone to work for a content company. I had no idea what copywriting was. <laughs> I, I had no idea. And so she... So she said, yes, you know, I have some blogs that you could write. And I'm like, oh, I can write blogs. I've been writing internal articles for the company intranet. No, it's the same thing. It's the same skill. Um, There were obviously things I had to learn, (laughs) lots of things I had to learn. But, yeah, it it was all through my lovely friend Julie Pierce who knew that I was a great writer and was thrilled to be able to subcontract work to someone that could deliver. And so you moved out of the city? I did. Yes, we did three and a half years ago. I see. So you started freelance in the city still? Mm, Yes. Yep. Do you think that helped as you started to get your own freelance clients? Um, No, I don't think so. I think I could count on two hands the number of times that I've actually met with clients (laughs) or contractors or um, people that I've worked with face to face. Great. So actually, it was all remote. So it, it that gave you even more confidence to make the move out. Totally. In which case, how were you finding those remote clients? So in the early days, a lot of my work was coming through subcontracting. So I joined a copywriting Facebook group. It was a paid membership. Um, and I was connecting with writers there who were looking for subcontractors. So back in those early days, a lot of that work was coming through established writers who were either building an agency or team of subcontractors under them or who just had a volume of work that they needed help with and needed to manage. So I was subcontracting to those people and doing lots of work initially that way. And then once I had my website up, I had my name on a couple of directories, online um, copywriting directories, and I was getting a couple of leads through that way, a couple of leads through my actual website. So yeah, in the early days, that's really how I was finding clients and finding work. And did you have like, um, I guess, like a portfolio? Like, how how did you show your your work? Mm. Yeah, you know, I didn't in the early days, I think for... um, I have a portfolio now on my website and my web designer has done some funky things with how that works so that you can kind of see some of the copy next to how it looks on the website. But in those early days, I didn't have a portfolio, but what I did have was a really great website. It wasn't necessarily the best in terms of branding and visuals, but it looked professional and I put a lot of work into the copy because I was essentially showcasing my skills. If I couldn't write copy for myself, then how could I expect, you know, this was my mindset, how could I expect someone to hire me to write copy for them? Um, So I really put a lot of time and effort into making sure that copy on my website was the best, you know, showcase the best of my skills. So did things change when you finally like made that move? So three years ago, it must have been, so that's just before the, the yeah. pandemic yeah oh steve when we moved so we moved in this <laughs> we moved in the september of 2019 yeah um and earlier in that year i had said to my husband like we'd been looking for a while and i'd said we can't move this year because the business is that i've had i've just been working my butt off it's just about to take off like this is the year that is is going to be make or break, is going to be, you know, it's going to be my biggest year. And it was to that point. And I just can't take on moving as well. And he said, all right, all right, we'll just just look at this one final place that we'd avoided looking at because it was outside of our budget. We finally, you know, it was going to be our last weekend up in the country looking at houses and we looked at this place and, of course, we fell in love. We made a ridiculously low offer and they accepted So (laughs) the move was on and so we moved and then that summer, so it's the summer here in Victoria in Australia and um, my husband works in government as well. He was on fire deployments, so it was the worst bushfire season in Victoria on, on record and he was away for six weeks out of 
eight over that summer. So alone on Christmas Day with our two young kids on this farm that we'd bought, um, just kind of going out of my mind with the... <laughs> the work and the stress and the pressure and then you know everything kind of settled down with work and we were full into COVID in the 2020 wow yeah but we but where we had moved from in the city was one of the worst impacted places in Melbourne um in terms of COVID cases and also very strict lockdowns So when I was looking at my friends who were still living back there who were allowed to go for an hour walk a day, that was their sort of, you know, Mm. what they were allowed to do. And here I am living on 17 acres of um, (laughs) gorgeous bushland on the, you know, Golden River. It, It sort of, yeah, it did make all the stress and overwhelm and work, I suppose, of the year before somewhat worth it is it like a working farm or is it just a massive bit of land is uh, what sort of farm are we talking about? <laughs> we don't um we have 400 olive trees so they are oil producing olives to make olive oil we are not making olive oil at the moment but the previous owners were and it's something that we will be looking to do so the, the olive trees are 20 years old they're quite mature um, and they're, we're, we're eating the olives at the moment. We're harvesting the olives and we yeah, preserve them to eat ourselves. Wow. I hope you like olives. That's a lot of olives to get it's through. It's a lot of olives. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's a lot of olives, but it's not enough to be a full-time commercial operation. So yeah. it is a bit of a side, yeah, and it's juggling a side hobby like that or a side enterprise like that when it's not something you know anything about and you also have full-time jobs and two young kids it's a lot okay so that might come I was just just wanting to figure it out just in case you know you were right having to your husband was away it was Christmas you were having to go out and milk the cows and herd the sheep (laughs) and and all sorts actually there's a nice point though so in that period you know, like when there's, there's a sudden moment of change. So, for example, your husband had to go for, away for six weeks for work. How do you manage your workload at points like that? Back then, <laughs> it was very much just make it work, just find the time, just work nights, work early mornings, work weekends, work with the kids in front of the TV. It It was... At that point in my business, I was still saying yes to every single project that came through. Um, I was subcontracting a little bit at that point as well to other riders to help manage the volume. Um, but I, w- I was I was treading water. I was just making it work any way that I could. I was just saying yes and finding a way, um, mm. which was not awesome <laughs> for my for my mental health really at that point. And, yeah, it was a lot. Are you able to avoid that now, if you see what I mean? Yes, totally. So I would say that first two or three years of my business, I was really very much like that. I had something to prove. You know, I was giving up a really stable full-time income that I had, you know, I'd built this career. I was on a nice income and I was giving that up for this lifestyle and to be able to go freelance. And so I had something to prove to myself that I could earn what I was earning in my corporate and government job and that I could make this work and that I had the skills to make it work. And so the way that I made it work was to say yes to everything. And I think I used to get quite excited really that people just wanted to work with me. So Mm. the yes was almost a reflex like, oh, my God, yes, you want to work with me? Of course I want to you know, do anything that you want me to do and pay me for it. Are you crazy? Of course I will do it. So I said yes and I made it work and that was the that was really what I did. Um, and I was treading water. I had way too many projects on the go. But my bank account, I was able to make money very quickly and really sort of save quite a bit of money as well to get myself to a point where when projects came to me 
I was able to be a bit more discerning about who I wanted to work with, the kind of projects that I wanted to do and actually begin to say no to things. Now and the last couple of years in my business have really been about how do I continue to make the money that I need to make um, and that I want to make in my business while also having a semblance of work-life balance and now my business looks like weekends off, very rarely working nights, school holidays I have off as well to be full-time mum with my kids. So that's, you know, eight weeks over summer and two weeks in between each term. So essentially have 12 weeks a year off from client work and from my business. I still monitor things that come into the inbox and we'll do little bits and pieces, but they are break periods. Um, and I can be quite flexible to if one of the kids is sick, I can take the day off. If, you know, my husband's away on fire deployments, I can shift work around. It is a much more um, kind of laid back pace now than it used to be. That's great. Um, so I'm loving the sound of the birds in the background as well. <laughs> They're waking up for the morning, Steve. <laughs> They're like, too right we like olives. Off they go to get another one. <laughs> oh, boy, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, how how would you, like, I'm just imagining, like, somebody listening to mm. where you've got to, but recognising maybe they're in that point that you were at when, when you started mm. out. How would you say you got there? So there's the buffer of cash. Absolutely essential, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's the buffer of cash so that you know that if you say no to that project, you can still pay yourself. So the other thing about the cash is that it's not just a buffer of cash, but you have a good system for your finances. Um, So for me, I use Profit First. Lots of freelancers use Profit First and it really works for me. I've kind of, you know, developed it into my own little system over the years, but essentially for every invoice that gets paid, I put some money away for tax GST in Australia and um, my superannuation, which is my retirement savings here in Oz. Um, I put a percentage of that money away for expenses and business expenses. And I put a percentage of that money away in a salary account. And then that account pays me a weekly wage. That's very simple. There's some sums you have to do to work out what your percentages need to be to actually for that weekly wage to be what it needs to be to sustain your lifestyle and meet your household budget and all those kind of things and then what the expenses need to be to sustain your business. Um, Thankfully, copywriting freelancing is very low overheads, especially if you do it from home. Um, So, yes, I knew I had enough money to be able to say no to people and continue to pay myself even if no other money came in. I was timing my projects. I was using a tool called Toggle, but you can use a stopwatch, you can use anything you like, and I was actually beginning to get real data around how long projects took me so that I could price them in a way that was profitable for me and didn't end up in me working for $10 an hour. Um, And you need to do that a few times. You need to do that over a period of time because some projects will blow out, some projects you will be faster on. You know, there's lots of variables with that. So to get an understanding of, you know, on average what writing a blog or writing a website or doing a brand messaging strategy might be on average um, to be able to price it appropriately And to be able to understand how much time you actually need in your calendar or in your day to deliver a project and deliver to the timelines that you've promised a client so you don't end up with 10 projects on the go and only enough time to really deliver on three of them. Um, Mm. What else? Uh, Really good marketing systems so that you know you always have leads coming in the door. Um, So for me, a lot of my leads now come from word of mouth and come from my Instagram, my email list, and also my website, which is just sort of chugs along in the background doing its thing. 
Um, but I think really investing some time and thought into how you are marketing yourself and really generating a really nice lead pipeline, I suppose, um, is worth your time and energy so that you know if you say no to this lead, there'll be another one. There's another one coming. Yeah, I think those three things are probably probably nice, the main yeah. things, yeah, that have made a big difference for me in getting from that place. Obviously, also, as I'm talking, I'm realising there's a lot of mindset stuff as well. So just, you know, <laughs> if you can say no to leads, you know, if you're able to sort of intuitively understand how much time it takes to do something and you can say no to people without any problems and um, you're not as excitable as me, that might not be (laughs) as much of a struggle for you as it was for me. But there's definitely, you know, knowing, hey, there's another, but if I say no to this project, there will be another one coming and that confidence, I suppose, comes with time. Yeah. You mentioned your website, which is beautiful. It's such a lovely website. There'll be a link at beingfreelance.com. When did you get it looking like that? Is that a recent thing or? So that was October, not last year, the year before, 2021. Mm -hmm. So that website's a year and a bit old now. Yeah, yeah. Did it make a difference like having a, I mean, I don't know what your site was like before, but, you know, this like the branding on it it's beautifully designed you Mm. mentioned earlier how the portfolio works like everything about it is lovely and gives a real sense of you as well so I don't know what was there before but whether that made a difference yeah so I um, my first website I was very lucky I worked with a really successful graphic design agency in Melbourne who I had known through my career working in media and comms and they were very lovely to me and they really wanted to support me and they they helped me get an initial website up Um, and took some photos, black and white photos of me. So my first website looked pretty good and it had Mm. professional graphic design. I mean, I had to because I sat down with Wix and tried to do my own and, oh, I don't know, (laughs) I'm not a visual, the visuals, every, I I spent so much time on it and every time I would just break it. I just, I don't know, the colours would look good and then I'd put them on the website and be like, oh, my God, what have I done? I look like a clown. Um, <laughs> and I just knew, I just knew, look, I, I, I can't, I can't take this business seriously if I just look like a backyard operation, especially back then when I started because COVID hadn't happened and so working from home wasn't, you know, this idea of, oh, you're working from home and you can still be professional and still do a professional job wasn't a thing. Back then, if you looked like a backyard operation, people wouldn't take you seriously and wouldn't hire you. So I did have quite a nice website from the start. You know, the copy was really good, but the messaging wasn't quite there because I didn't really know what people were looking for. I didn't really know what they needed from me. I spoke a lot about saving them time and doing work that they didn't want to do. You know, you don't want to write, I'll do it for you. And my messaging has really grown up since then because the value of what I deliver goes well beyond just saving people time and doing a job that they don't like doing. Um, But it took me some time to understand really understand that value to be able to communicate it. So the first thing that I did to update the website was move from the um, just I think I had half a dozen black and white photos of myself and I got professional branding photography done and I had a whole, you know, two-hour photo shoot and I ended up with like a 100 photos of myself Mm -hmm. and they were beautifully done. And when I had that done, and put those on my website, I noticed a real difference in how people were connecting with me, the kind of people that were coming through the door. I was noticing that people coming onto my discovery calls to chat about their work already really wanted to work with me. Um, At the same time, I was, you know, popping those photos on Instagram and doing a bit on Instagram. And I think that's a nice little portfolio piece like a demonstration of your writing skills on Instagram as well. So so people were connecting with me in a better way through those photos and through what I was doing on social media. And I think this latest rebrand, so I was operating on that um, website with those photos for quite a while and then this website that you can see now is the first time that I did the full like a full redo the website, redo the branding. And I had new photos taken again because they're of me on the farm. 
and I redid the messaging as well. And it's interesting because I think I, I don't know that I've seen an increase in the amount of leads that come through, but it's a very rare for me now to get somebody coming to me wanting to work with me that isn't a good fit client for me so I think it does a lot of heavy lifting in terms of finding attracting and really retaining clients that I like to work with projects that excite me like it does that sort of good fit work for me which is great because um, that's a really hard thing to do once somebody is talking to you, once you have them in a call, a discovery call or on email and they're telling you about their project and they're not a good fit for you because they don't have the budget or you get a sense that they're not really going to value what you can deliver or, you know, the work doesn't excite you or isn't in your sphere of, you know, expertise mm-hmm. Um or they're not values aligned, you know, you, they're just not the kind of person that you would like to work with for whatever reason. It's really hard to then say to say no or to say, hey, I don't think we'd be a great fit. I think that's a really hard thing for freelancers to do. And so I'm very grateful that my website is doing a lot of that hard work for me. Interesting. Yeah. No, I like that. Oh, the other thing with the website now is that I will... I have people booking me for work and paying me up front without ever having spoken to me straight through the website. Hmm. But mm. which sounds brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 actually um but you just said, you know, like being on a call and then you get a feel as to whether, you know, maybe there's some red flags, maybe this isn't right. Like do you ever find yourself in a situation where somebody's paid and they hired you effectively? Like you're kind of committed to it, but you haven't had that call, so you haven't had that chance to suss them out. Not for ages, because I think the website's doing such a good job of attracting the good fit people for me, and yeah. and I think because the investment is such a big one, now the pricing is, you know, I'm not the cheapest copywriter in Australia, so that if you if you're going to make that investment, it's a benefit on the client end as well to make sure that yeah. they're really hiring someone that they know they're going to get on with and enjoy working with and get the value that they need. So there's a benefit to ha- having some higher pricing there is that I have found that I've attracted better fit clients. And so you have packages on your site? Yeah, so the way that I work, it's not project-based, it's time-based. So my packages are hire me for a day, hire me for a week, hire me for two weeks. I have half a day and 90-minute bookings as well, but they're not on the website because they're because they are the cheapest offerings. What I was finding was people were booking those um, and then coming in with loads of work that couldn't possibly <laughs> be done in half a day and then I would right. leave them disappointed um, because they were trying right. to, they're like, oh, we'll just we'll just get as much as we can out of you in, in this half a day. But what they really needed was a whole website overhaul and then we'd start working together and I'd get as far as I could in half a day and then I think we would both leave feeling pretty dissatisfied that I don't want to work with people unless I know I can make a difference to their business. It doesn't feel good for me. Like the money isn't, I need I need to make money for us to live here and for my life to work. Like the money isn't just a nice thing for me to have, but it's not worth it to me if I walk away from a interaction with a client knowing that they're like, ah, oh, this isn't going to, like I've wasted, this has been a waste of time and money for me because this is kind of good, but it doesn't get me where I need to go. It doesn't give me what I need. So now I ask people, I have those discovery calls. I do more admin to get someone on a 90-minute booking or a half-a-day booking because I want to make sure that I can actually make a difference for them in that time. God, I love this. And so if I was booking you for like i don't know a week for example is that just like synced up with i don't know like a calendly type or whatever you know like a, a sort of matches with your calendar and you're in control yeah. of it in that respect yeah. yeah right so because i work school terms and i take school holidays off i release my booking spots 
by term. So say term one is now available and I can plan ahead. I can say, okay, in term two, I know there's a school camp. I know my husband's going away for work. I'm going on holiday. You know, what does that look like? Where are Mm. the public holidays? What does that look like? I look at my calendar. I have Acuity is the platform that I use to sync it all up. The way that it works for me is I say a week booking is 18 hours over five days. So it's however I want to deliver that or however it works for the client to deliver that. But that's but essentially that sort of three days of six hours is kind of how I think about it. So I look at my term and I, and I try to put weeks back to back so that if somebody wants to book me for a two-week spot, I can do that for them, which is really handy because I spend the first week doing brand messaging strategy, customer surveys, you know, whatever that kind of strategic piece looks like. And then for the second week, we can deliver the website copy, the email copy. You know, I find it's really helpful for launch copy because, again, we can do a week of strategy and then a week of the execution on that strategy. So I'll do, okay, where are the two weeks that are going to sit together? Mm. And then for the other weeks, I only do two full day bookings in a week together because then I have extra time in that week to do my own business admin or to do overflow work. So if people book a day and then they see what I deliver in a day and they say, oh, Anna, actually, can you do this, (laughs) this and this? I can say yes and I can do it tomorrow because I haven't booked I can do it tomorrow while my brain is already on your brand, you know, while I'm already in the momentum of writing for you, while we've already got attention on this project and get it done. And I find that's really helpful to have. And then I can have weeks where I say, well, I'm only going to open up one full day in this week because it's the end of term and I know there's going to be lots of school activity on or whatever. And so I plot it all out in a spreadsheet that I have to say, okay, what does it look like? to fit around my calendar and my life and to have the work-life balance that I want and to, you know, work the way that I want, thinking about all the variables that I've, that now that I've done this system a few times, I know I need to consider. And then I have a little um, finance table that says, okay, well, I've got, I'm opening up six full days and six working weeks, for example. How much money is that equivalent to? Does that hit my financial targets? Yes or no? Okay, so then I know, yes, it does. And actually, it's more than what I need to make. Great. I'll take some time out or take some weeks out. Or I'll say, okay, great. I don't have to worry about filling every single one of those spots. I can just chill a bit about needing to kind of hustle to book all those spots or get in touch with people and say, hey, spots are open. Do you, do you want one? And fill them all. I can kind of relax a bit about whether all the spots will get filled or, oh no, it's not really going to hit my financial targets. Right, Luke, who's my husband? I need to work another week. What do we do? Can you look after the kids? How do we open up time for me to be able to make some more money this term so we can do X, Y, Z? So it's very data-driven kind of process. That's that's how it works on the back end. So then it's all linked up to Acuity. So I take all those bookings, I open them all up in Acuity and then I tell my email list and I tell Instagram, hey, you know, they're open now, go go for your life, book away. Wow. I can hear several people making notes right now. (laughs) Back with Anna in a moment, but let me just remind you that the Being Freelance community is there for you. Come and be part of it. If you were part of the Facebook group but you haven't made the move over yet to our new home, come on, come on in. It's free of distraction, it's free of data mongering, everything we loved about the Facebook group and then some. A place where you can ask questions, sense check your doubts, share laughs, uh, connect with other freelancers, there's the Non-Employed A Week Awards, there's live Q&As, virtual co-working, live podcasts. In fact, episode 300 of this podcast will be live in there. A new thing I'm doing called the Freelance Disco, the Book Club, Tea Break Socials, in-person meetups like this week just gone. We met up in London. I know not all of you can get there, of course, but we did. We met up and because we're very serious about working on our businesses... 
we went and played mini golf. Uh, it was a lot of fun. There's photos in the community. Come join us. It's very easy to do. Click beingfreelance.com and then click community. And I'll see you in there. Right now, though, let's get back to chatting to Anna and hearing her story. With your email list, how did you start to grow that? Um, really non-strategically. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah. I went, oh, <laughs> how hard could it be? I'll just put a form on my website and people will sign up. Um, and then I did and then they did. And I thought, oh, dear, <laughs> I have all these people <laughs> on my list. I better start talking to them. What should I talk to them about? It's not a massive list. I think I have about 500 people on there. But they do really enjoy my emails. And it's been a bit like fits and starts. I'll have periods where, you know, I have a strategy. I have everything planned out for a few months. I'm, you know, really rolling with it. I had a really great series last year where I collaborated with other copywriters and we took questions from our audience, so from our email lists and from Instagram and from wherever, and then we would both answer the same question but we wouldn't tell each other what we were going to write. (laughs) So then we were, you know, having a different take or a similar take but saying it in different ways on the same question. Um, and that was that was heaps of fun. Like I just really enjoyed doing that. I really enjoyed writing specifically for the questions that people were asking because then I knew that what I, the content I was delivering was actually going to help someone and it grew my list as well because I was getting exposed to these other copywriters' um, email lists. So I've done a few little idea-driven campaigns like that in my emails um, and then in between them I neglect the list a little bit. So <laughs> it's um, unfortunate but I'm a one-woman show so there's only so much you can do and, yeah, I do find the email list really is worth nurturing and is a really fun content channel for me. So I do try to put time and energy into it. Are you somebody who has sort of like goals? Oh, yeah, always. I think (laughs) so obviously I have financial goals and I have lifestyle goals. Like I, I, a lot of my goals in my business are around how I want it to feel for me. I think being freelance and really running your own gig and running your own business can be a very tough slog, um, but the benefit of it is you get to decide. You make all the decisions. So that you make all the decisions coin on the one side of it is just an extreme amount of pressure and can be very stressful and overwhelming. But on the other side of it is you get to decide, like... <laughs> You get to decide. You get to decide what's important to you and then you get to make it happen. And so in my life, what's important to me is feeling good about the work that I do, actually helping people, being able to spend time with my kids, being able to, you know, enjoy my life. And work is such a big part of my life. I want to enjoy my work too. So a lot of my goals around wanting to feel good about the work that I do and working in my business. But I'm the kind of person that always has a lot of ideas and I have to be quite um, strict with myself about which (laughs) ones I follow and execute. And, yeah, that can be a bit tricky sometimes. How do you pick? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Very very non-strategically. So usually I'll just get very excited and start following an idea like and I'm a very learn by doing kind of person so yeah. I'll start doing it and then I'll figure out very quickly oh this is not the rabbit hole that I want to fall down um and that can be a bit heartbreaking sometimes because you can get really excited by an idea and then put work into it to discover actually this isn't going to be a good fit or this is going to require a lot more of me than I'm willing to give right now and you kind of have to shelve things once they're already started and that that hurts a little bit. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Now, Anna, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make yes. two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? Okay. I have two goats that are named after ABBA members. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was once detained by police in South Africa who threatened to shoot me if I tried to leave the van that they had loaded me into. Whoa, okay. And 
the last one is I can deadlift one and a half times my own body weight. <laughs> so you can deadweight one and a half times. I'm trying to imagine one and a half times. Could I? I don't even know. I don't know. How, so is that you know that because you do weights? Yeah. Training type yeah. stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I don't really know how to interrogate that one. I've got to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> though I do recognise the fact that when you have small children, I feel like that makes you really strong. You know oh, what? Totally. That... I can throw them around now. It's great. Yeah. Weightlifting's great. South African police. So why were you in a South African police van? I was in um, <laughs> South Africa for World Cup in 2010. I was at the start of a round-the-world trip. Um, that I was doing solo, but I had my then boyfriend, now husband, came to South Africa with me, and he was staying for World Cup with his friends. And so there were about, I think there was four of us, and we were walking around a gated community, and we had open bottles of alcohol. Yeah, this police van pulled up, and all the lads had um, guns, had like. I I know nothing about guns, but they were big guns. They weren't handguns. They were like <laughs> big ones. <laughs> right, bit, right. Yeah. yeah, and they're like, right, well, what are you guys doing? You know, you're drinking on the streets. That's not allowed. I'm like, oh, yeah, probably not. Fair enough. We're on holidays and in our 20s and we're not thinking straight. So they made us um, tip out the drinks. And so we did that. And they're like, okay, you're going to have to get in the van. Like, okay, what? what? <laughs> so we get in this van and it was like a um, minibus type, like it had seats and things. So we've got onto this van and there's just more guns lying on seats at the front. Hang on, sorry, but by your scale of knowledge of guns, were they big guns or little guns? They were big guns. They were like across two seats, like big (laughs) guns. And the four of us are sitting in the back just looking at each other and telepathically, I I swear to God, we were telepathically communicating with each other and the messages were... Like, do we, how much cash do we have on us? What are we do? Like, how are we going to get ourselves out of this situation? What are they going to do? How are we going to, we were just eyeballing each other going, what is going on? And one of the police officers kind of jumped in after us and he saw us looking at the guns in the front and he was like, don't try to leave or we'll shoot you. And I think they were having a laugh. I, 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 I don't know. I think they were just trying to scare us and they drove us. They started so they all got in and then they drove us. I think there were about three or four of them and they started driving. That afternoon, in four hours, I was meant to be on a flight to Spain, like out of South Africa. So like, um, missed my flight. What am I going to do? And they asked for our passports. They took our passports off oh us and um, then they drove us 15 minutes up the road to a service station, to a petrol station. And they went, righto, get out and um, gave us our passports back, and that was it. I said, be careful. Be careful around these parts. You know? Oh, my. Okay. I mean, <laughs> that, that has to be true. Either that or you're a fabulous story. I mean, no, that has to be true. I, I'm believing that. One and a half times your body weight. Two goats. Um, who got to choose the names of the goats? I did. I'm an ABBA fan. And is it Benny and Bjorn? Is that there's one female and one male goat? They're brother uh, and sister. I mean, you could well you you live on a farm. Why you could have goats? Yeah, I do have goats. No, okay. I'm going to say the one and a half times your body weight. That's that. That's a lot. That is it. Yeah, that's a lot. It's that. That's the lie. No, that's the truth. <sighs> the goats is the lie. The goats is the lie. I do have two goats. They are brother and sister, but they are named Tommy and Gina after a Bon Jovi Tommy song. And Gina, living on a prayer, living on Maybe. a prayer, isn't it? Yeah, my head's in my hand. <laughs> Do you know if if one thing I meant to ask was, um, so you've had an experience of like hiring subcontractors mm. as well? Mm. Yeah, like how's that been for you? Yeah, it's really interesting because there's this narrative in freelance land that's like okay so once you've established your business and you've got customers coming in and things are going like the next step is to scale like scale 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 and so in copywriter land or you know in our industry two of the ways that people do that is like you start an agency or you subcontract or you 
create digital products and you go the, you know, one-to-many digital product course kind of route. So scaling is the thing. And the copywriting group that I was in, the community that I was part of that membership back in the real early days, I don't know if it was just me, but it felt like there was this real kind of like if you had an agency, like if you were hiring other copywriters to work with you, that's there was almost prestige around that. Like it was almost, oh, you've really made it. Like you're doing something important here because you have a team of people. And so I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. And, you know, I'll give it a go. <laughs> Not terribly strategic. I'll, I'll, I'll find out what I find out. And um, I didn't love it. I very quickly found out that to make it work, it seems very obvious, but you have to work with really great subcontractors. And, you know, to make the model work, you need to be charging a price and then you're paying subcontractors less of that price so that you're making some money out of the situation. But to get really good subcontractors who are happy to work for less than what they could earn if they were just, you know, working directly with the client, you either need to get people who are early on in their freelancing copywriting career and you lose them like once they realize what they're worth or they you know they get they mm. get busy they you know so you lose them quickly so you've got to put a lot of time and energy into retaining those people or you know whatever you want to do to invest in those people to retain them or you work with people who aren't so great or don't have the skills that you need or don't add the value that you need and then you're spending a lot of time sort of editing and making their work better to then present to the client and for me once I had to bring my mental energy into that space with the work to do, be doing lots of editing or lots of sort of rewriting myself the benefit of working with the subcontractor was gone because if I'm going to put the mental energy in like at least give me the fun part of even of starting the work and doing the you know <laughs> the cre- yeah. you know doing the creation and there's a lot of time and energy and investment that you have to put into project management and you know not just the people management and hiring good talent and retaining good talent but managing them so they know their deadlines the work's coming in on time you've got buffer to be able to send it on to the client and you know my way of working now which is time based the whole idea around that is to remove a lot of the admin around project management because my brain doesn't like it. I don't enjoy it. It's not how I like to work. It's not, you know, what I enjoy doing. So the less of it I can do, the better. And when you've got subcontractors, you've got a lot of more project management to do. And then the third thing about it that I found out was people wanted to work with me. They didn't want to hire me and then have you know, when I would suggest, hey, I can take this project on in the timelines that you need, but I'm going to work with a subcontractor to deliver it, they would say to me, I want you to do the work, let's push out the timelines. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that was because I'd spent, a, spent, you know, I'd really worked on my Instagram and my website and my emails and all of that kind of stuff to really sort of build my brand and build my name and showcase my writing skills and style that people were very keen to work with me. And I liked that and I still like that. So I was like, well, um, I'm just going to double down on that. Now in my business, I've been spending some time thinking about, okay, well, I can't, I, scaling in that way isn't a good fit for me for lots of reasons and is probably not an avenue that I will would look at again. So what might scaling look like in terms of digital products or a course? Um, and I've been working on something for quite a while now and coming up against a lot of um, learning a lot about it and wondering if scaling in that way is going to be a good fit for me. And I don't think I'm going to know until I actually deliver something and have people doing it to work out whether the things that I'm worried about are real or imagined, I think, is where I'm at with that. That's a bit vague, but yeah. It's a work in progress. It is a work in progress. And I think I'm at a point now where I'm thinking, is scaling the be-all and end-all? Do you have to scale? Like, is that really the next logical step up or can you just do really good work on a one-on-one basis and hit your financial goals? You know, does there have to be a next step? Like this, just really enjoy what I'm doing in my business now. I'm so glad I asked you that. (laughs) Um, Anna, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? 
this is so hard because what I what I want to say is do it sooner, but I couldn't have done it sooner. Like everything I in, I did in my career that led me to doing, like I felt like it happened at the right time for me to have the skills that I was able to take freelance. Like really had that foundation. But I would say to people younger than me, maybe like younger me way back when, when I was looking at my career and I just had like tunnel vision and I thought the only thing that I could do was to work for other people, I would say just consider it. Like just put it in the mix. Like this is a possibility. Running your own business and being freelance, you know, you can you can use your skills in this way. Put it in the mix of things that you could consider doing. Like you don't, it doesn't always have to be job boards and resumes and bosses and managers and, you know, you can do it for yourself. People are doing it and it is possible. Anna, it's been an absolute joy chatting to you. Thank you so much. Um, you're welcome. Especially because you're you're doing this. I don't even know if you've had your breakfast. It's so early where you are. I haven't. Um, you're the first person I've spoken to today. <laughs> it's just me and the birds. Um, mm. But thank you so much. It's bit, what birds were they, by the way? Um, I know their sounds now, but because I've had my headphones on, I don't know which ones you're hearing, but we have um, rosellas and um, king parrots. We have kookaburras. Um, We get these galahs. We get these beautiful cockatoos that are called gang-gang cockatoos. They're some of my favourites. We have wattlebirds, karawongs. Yeah, it's, it's it's a bird paradise up here so nice it's magic we have we have some wedgetail eagles that have a nest up at the back of our property and they every year they have their um babies and so we like have these baby wedgetail eagles flying out it's just it's incredible it's an incredible part of the world very special Anna thank you so much if like myself and Anna you're freelancing around your family around kids don't forget the other podcast I host is doing it for the kids so since you've got your maybe your phone out or you're on your computer wherever you found this podcast basically search for doing it for the kids and there's um, short 20 minute episodes waiting for you to help you uh, over that way as well go to beingfreelance.com there is a link through to Anna's website and uh, so you can find her in all her other various social places as well uh, so do go take a look it's a really lovely site as well and who knows one day there might be a digital product there and if there isn't then you know which way that one went Uh, (laughs) i know it's been great chatting to you thank you so much and all the best being freelance thank you bye everyone how lovely was that (laughs) and just so much great stuff in there geez there's been some great episodes this season if you've not heard them yet go back Victoria, Io, Alex, and if you've enjoyed them as much as I have, please do think about leaving a review. I can't leave a review myself. It might seem a bit off, but you can. And as I mentioned right at the beginning, if you're sharing this online and it does make a difference, tag me in at being freelance. Okay, I'm out of here. Another great guest next week. We are off. <laughs> Actually, yeah, next week we're off to Brazil. I'm getting about a bit this season. Um, I hope you'll join me. I'll see you in the week in the community. And I'll see you back here for another episode very soon indeed. You have a great week being freelance. Freelance.